it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. And we want to welcome you in to the final drive. Thanks for having us locked in. If you haven't downloaded that free Sound of Mobile app, make sure you do so to any Android or Apple device that you have because you'll be able to correspond with us on the app. You can call us the old-fashioned way, 251-694-1055. Great Tuesday show scheduled for you. Roman Harper from the SEC Network. Of course, you see him on Saturday mornings on SEC Nation, along with the new show with Cole Kublick's Read and React. We'll catch up with Roman Harper. Chris Gordy has us locked on the SEC around 4 o'clock. The executive director of the Gulf Coast Challenge that's coming here this Saturday, Jackson State and Alabama A&M doing battle at Lad People Stadium. We'll catch up with my guy, Tim Hale. And from 5 to 6 o'clock, it's the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Edition here on WNSP 105.5. So a great show lined up. Make sure you're tuned and locked in. Nick Wiggins, a busy night. Last night on Monday Night Football for the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, man, a lot of people uh, coming at old Daniel Jones, man, and uh, Dayball. I don't know. The Giants, it seems like last season was just uh, a stroke of luck. Daniel Jones, now people are saying he's got one of the worst contracts in terms in terms of quarterbacks. It's uh, not a good time to be a fan of a New York sports team. Football especially, right? Who's the best team in New York? I'm going to say it's the WNBA's New York Liberty who are in the WNBA Finals. Sabrina Ionescu. Did I say that right? Yes. Okay. Inescu. Okay. Close enough. Yes. Yes. Inescu. But when, when the New York Liberty are the talk of New York City, outside of the Rangers, outside of the Yankees, outside of the Mets, especially in October, you know you have a problem in New York. That's right. Well, look, Corey, you know, I know we're talking about Daniel Jones and Monday Night Football. Last night, you had a busy night. Hugh Freeze actually came down to Mobile, and you were able to talk to him. Yeah, we had a conversation with Hugh Freeze last night, and we'd love to let all our listeners in on a little Hugh Freeze and his thoughts this week, upcoming bye week, and some other things that are going on within Auburn's program as well. Coach Freeze, you had a big game against Georgia, and your team really competed hard. What's your assessment of your team at this point in the season? Well, uh, I, I was really pleased with the effort that our kids gave and thought we had a solid plan. And I think it's a lot of things that you can build upon when you watch that tape. There's also a lot of things that we can be better at that we've got to improve on, and we got to improve on as coaches and as players. And so there's a, but there's a lot of good in it, and you know it 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 hurt us to lose, and I like to see that, you know, and uh, it it bothered me, it bothered them, and I think that's a good quality. But 
I say all along, I, you, you learn more from failure than you do from success, truthfully, if it's handled the right way. And hopefully this uh, is, is, I wish I was with our team today. I've been on the road recruiting and, and I probably, uh, I've been sweating a lot because it's very hot outside and I've been at practices and things. But So I wish I was with my team to, to kind of uh, get a sense of, of how they feel. Um, but I'll see them tomorrow. But I do think that, that we will look at this as, you know, we could have won the football game and let's take the good and, and it, let it build confidence for us and let's take the things we didn't do right that really hurt us and, uh, and go improve on those things headed into uh, LSU. Your off week's coming up. Is there anything you do differently with this being the first year with the program? Yeah, no, I treat off weeks the same. I've done it all the time. Uh, there'll be recruiting, obviously, involved, which I've done today at a lot of schools and um, and speaking at events like in Birmingham at lunch and tonight in Mobile and uh, spending some time with the Auburn people. Then we'll have two really good practices Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday will be a lighter practice and a shell of it, truthfully, because most of the coaches will be on the road recruiting Thursday and Friday. Um, so um, that's, that's how we get some folks healthy, hopefully, also. When talking about scheduling, you said you're upset to see the Georgia rivalry go. Let's, let's really clarify that okay. statement. I have no clue what's going on uh, with future schedules. That haven't, hasn't come to the coaches at all. What I totally meant by that was, um, there's a lot of great rivalries um, in our conference, and there's new teams coming, and I think it's going to be exciting brand of football for people to see Texas. And but should there be years where you're not playing some, that would be, you know, I'm sure disappointing to some people from certain years. But I have no clue what the future scheduling is, nor has it been discussed with us as coaches. Uh, I know what next year's is, and that's that's as far as I know. So I was using a hypothetical, and um, certainly uh, hope everybody clears that up. Coach, the excitement of the Auburn fan base so far. Talk about the atmosphere they created, not only in this past Saturday's game, but so far since you've been the head coach. That has probably been the, the most, um, I, I don't want to say surprising thing, because, you know, you've heard about the Auburn culture and the Auburn people and the Auburn family. But the way that they have embraced our new staff and our players and my family, and uh, it's just been overwhelming and, and humbling, truthfully, and sold more season tickets than ever before in the history of the program, which is amazing to me. And it just tells me of their passion uh, for Auburn football. And uh, I, I, I don't, I haven't experienced a, uh, a greater fan base than what I've experienced here. I think they're just the best. And Jordan-Hare is an uh, incredible place to, to play. And our people are super supportive and I think it helps in recruiting we had a great recruiting weekend even though we lost the game and a lot of that goes to the the energy that is being felt from our people coach not a lot of people can run the ball on Georgia and you did that pretty successfully how gratifying is that and how were you able to do it well it was uh I think I saw a stat where we were the first team to rush for over 200 yards on them in six or seven years so that's uh, that means we had a good plan, and our kids executed it somewhat um, um, in a good way. The, so I think we build upon it. I mean, you rushed against one of the best defenses in the country, and you should be able to do that week in, week out. And if we can clean up, you know, the third and threes and fours that really cost us in the fourth quarter. I mean, the, those third downs on both sides, I think that was the difference in the game. 
our defense couldn't get off the field on third and longs and we couldn't convert the third and mediums to shorts and um, and I think that was the difference in the game but you take again the the fact that we did rush the ball on a good defense and let's build upon it Coach Reeves, you've constantly been emphasizing recruiting. There's been talk about the previous group not doing that well. How important has that been, and how important is the Mobile, Baldwin County area to you? Well, I wouldn't be here if, if, if I didn't think it was a priority. I, I think uh, the whole state of Alabama is one that is a priority for us at Auburn, along with Georgia and Mississippi, and and then we'll spot recruit um, a lot of other places. But um, Alabama's our home state, and there's players in Mobile and uh, all across the state. And I don't think that uh, that any head coach puts more of a premium on recruiting than I do right now. Um, I'm not saying that I'm better or, or than others, but I'm saying I just find it hard to believe that there's some that are putting more effort into it. And I think that's what it's going to take to get us back in the game with some of the elite players. And that's why we're at events like this, why I'm at practices today and uh, trying to do that. So it's, uh, it's, it's the lifeblood. Coach, what's been your takeaway on the quarterback play through the first five games? You know, uh, inconsistent. Um, we're still searching a bit. Uh, not not so much in the run game, but in the pass game as to what we really look like and who we're really going to be. And uh, some of that is, as, when I say that, I do not say that that's all on the quarterback. A lot of it is on receiver play, coaches. It's a, it's a combination, protections, and the quarterback. I thought Peyton, of his nine incompletions Saturday, I really felt like five of those should have been caught. And, you know, that makes a difference in those games, and it makes a difference in how you perceive the play of a quarterback. And, so it's a combination, and we're still searching some. I've been honest about that, and, and we've got to improve. You received a lot of attention for playing Georgia close. Where does that set the program at right now, and where do you want to be moving forward? I, I don't – there's no moral victories in the SEC. I mean, does it mean we're – that we're a little closer to closing the gap? Maybe. But that's one Saturday, and you've got to do it for a long stretch in this league, and we're not very deep. And um, I think that showed in the fourth quarter, and, and it's concerning when you, when you start talking about stacking a whole schedule together in, in the 12 games. I look forward to the day where we have a full recruiting class, um, it, it just if it's just one, to join our team to give us some depth. But, um, you know, we played a very good quality football team really, really close. And there's a lot of positives you can take from that. But that one Saturday in and of itself probably doesn't qualify for us to say we've arrived at some benchmark yet. On the play calling on Saturday, how much did you do? And will there be any adjustments in the off week? It's a constant uh, evolving thing. You know, I mean, obviously there's there's strengths to uh, Monty's game of, of play calling and, you know, and I've done it for a long time. So we, we collaborate uh, really well together and, you know, we're still kind of searching for, you know, what is the best, uh, what's best for our football team to win games. And uh, this week, I look forward to tomorrow. It's a lot. Well, a lot of discussions will take place, but uh, you know, every game plan, I know what's on the call sheet, and and certainly have the freedom to step in and make a call if I want. Um, and so I approve that. And so Monty's made some good calls. We haven't executed a lot of calls that were really good. And then uh, obviously there's things that I think I know that probably uh, am am better at. 
um, you know, that I because I was a high school coach and I, I've had to play with a lot of different quarterbacks and we've done some different things. And so, and he's so he's awesome to work with. And um, you know, the I think it'll be a good collaboration moving forward. Looking ahead to next season and recruiting, would you be open to welcoming a lot of transfers or are you more focused on bringing in recruits from the high school level? And what's your philosophy on that? Well, I don't know that it matters what my philosophy is anymore. If I had my, my choice, I would like to sign high school kids and develop them and and that's how you build a program. But that's that's the old way of thinking and I've got to adjust my mindset some now and I, I don't really know that any coach can answer that question because you don't know how many you're going to lose and <laughs> and thus that forces you if you lose X amount you've got to go get X amount out of the portal so I, I don't know how to answer that question and 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 not if I if I told you anything other than I have no clue <laughs> then I would probably be just uh, making it up but you know my preference would be to develop kids and but the process of uh, the process of becoming is kind of being lost. You know, it used to be where you develop a kid for two years, and man, his junior year, he's ready to roll. And is that possible in today's time with a large percentage of, of kids? I don't know. Um, I think we'll see. This this will be an interesting portal period to to see how it kind of uh, how everybody reacts. Uh, to it at some point is you would think it's got to settle back down to to some people saying speaking some truth into people saying you know stick to it man stick in it don't 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 jump ship let's uh, let's build something together and that's what we preach but I don't know exactly what it's going to look like what areas are you most concerned about recruiting wise from a position standpoint yes, uh, wide receiver I mean it, you say that O-line, D-line, quarterback, wide receiver, all of them are important, but we, we've, we've got to get some guys in the receiver room, that um, some depth there that, that can separate and win some one-on-ones. Coaching the Ole Miss-LSU game on Saturday, the result of that, knowing LSU is your next opponent, does the outcome of that game affect your game plan and preparation for that matchup? Well, I haven't seen the game, so it's hard for me to say that. I know Ole Miss is very, uh, very talented and gifted at throwing the football, and uh, I don't know that that's our strength just yet. So I'd like to watch the game and see if it was a combination of rushing, passing, but it sounds like there was a, a lot of yards given up, and um, I don't know exactly what that means because you know our offense probably is a bit different than, than what LSU faced there. Talk about your defense so far. They've been a pleasant surprise for you this season, playing extremely well. Eugene Asante especially being a leader on that defense for you. Very pleased, other than the few breakdowns we tend to have that, that cost us. Uh, it'd be If we could play a complete game like we played the first and second quarter against A&M and against Georgia, that would be nice. And again, I, I do think part of that is depth and um, that, that we're – we get gassed because we're not playing many people on that side of the football. But, boy, they've played extremely well for some quarters. And um, yeah, I think it's, we're the first team to hold Georgia under 100 yards rushing. And you, you guys can figure out how long. But I think it was, uh, it's was it been a while. And so they're playing really well. Eugene's a big part of that. And we're really thin there, too, after losing Austin Keys. And Eugene stepped in and is doing really well. Getting DJ James and Nehemiah Pritchett healthy, how has that helped the team? 
Very much so, because um, you know they're having to play a lot of snaps, and we're really we've lost you know Keontae, and and then you know Sim Simpson goes down in the fourth quarter the other day, and uh, those are you know two really quality safeties, and so we're uh, we're kind of thin back here. I love these young kids we recruited in the 24 class. I mean 23 class, they're just young. And when they go in, they, they do some good things and they do some not so good things. But I think they're going to be really talented. Hugh Freeze last night at Moe's Barbecue downtown Mobile having a chance to talk to media members. And again, when you have audio quality that has to be adjusted, you have to make sure that everyone hears and understands the questions that are asked to Hugh Freeze because it's not often that you have a chance to sit in front of Auburn University's head coach and for him to take 15 minutes of his time before speaking to the public crowd that was at Moe's last night. He addressed many issues, Nick, and one of those being that quarterback situation. And looking forward to seeing how Auburn adjusts during its off week leading up to the LSU game and to see how they're going to fix the quarterback situation on the field. You look at coming up next, Roman Harper, SEC Network, former Saint, former Crimson Tide, former Carolina Panther. We cover the SEC and the NFL with Roman Harper coming up next here on the Final Drive. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. And who better than to talk college football with than Roman Harper. And Roman Harper, of course, you see him every Saturday on SEC Nation. And now he's on Read and React with Cole Kublik as well. Been enjoying that breakdown of that footage as well. Roman, welcome to the final drive. Oh, man, thank you so much, man. Just picked up my kids out of the, the car pickup line. And that's probably my top three worst things in places in my life, honestly. But, you know, I, I, to each their own, and it's something we all got to do. Understood. Like I said, there are plenty of our listeners here on WNSP 105.5 who are carpool dads and not just waiting on carpool moms to pick them up, and they listen to the show while they're in the carpool line waiting to pick up their kids. So we definitely all can relate to that, Roman. And there was some, what we can relate to, there was some great college football played on Saturday in the SEC. You had Ole Miss winning that shootout with LSU, and it was a must-win for Lane Kiffin, and it was a big-time win a week after they lose to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yeah, I don't understand how it wasn't a must-win for LSU as well, besides just the SEC West. Like, I, I understand that, but, man, that was a must-win for both teams. Uh, it was a huge bounce back for Lane Kiffin, probably the biggest win he's had at Ole Miss in his coaching tenure there. Uh, and you got to give them a, a lot of kudos because offensively, they did some things that they hadn't shown. Cole Kublik and I reacted to that last night on our show, Read and React. We talked about how Ole Miss had only ran the pistol formation six times all year long. Well, they had a, a handful of it this past weekend, really trying to focus on getting that run game started with uh, with Quinchon Jenkins, which they did a great job of. But And, and I just got to be 1,000 with it. I, I thought LSU defensively was not good, not good at all in a lot of different areas. And so Ole Miss was able to take advantage of that. And sometimes, man, I think more and more people got to understand it's the same thing I tell my son. Uh, if they're going to give you a layup, take it. Take the layup. And that's what Ole Miss did. 
absolutely. And we'll jump to the planes as well. And a week ago, I was guilty of saying the Auburn Tigers, kind of like yourself, were going to go into College Station and beat Texas A&M. And it looked pretty good <laughs> at halftime. I was like, yeah, the defense is in there. They're in great shape. And then, of course, second half, they did not have any type of offense. But you turned to one week later, and in Jordan-Hare, the magic happens at Jordan-Hare Stadium. They punched <laughs> Georgia in the mouth 10-0. to And the next thing you know, Georgia's on the ropes one. Once again, yeah, man, Georgia has to find a way to to start faster. They 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 have not started fast, not one game all year long, and they just can't continue on that trend and that pattern. And I I, I think what Auburn did such a good job of is really just using the running the running ability of the quarterback. That was really all the only difference. That's where they made a lot of their 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 momentum plays. And then after that, you 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 hit them a couple times, and like you said, not only are they on the ropes, but now the body blows are, are taking its toll on Georgia a little bit more. They're getting three, four, five yards just running the football right down the middle of the defense. And so uh, they had some explosive plays with the quarterback run. And I think softening them up on the edges allowed them to be a little bit better inside on the run game. And you got to give credit when credit is due. I thought Auburn's defense battled. Auburn's defense has really, truly battled all year long. Um, the quarterback play was a little bit better, but – my biggest question mark for Auburn is who's going to be that, that playmaker for Auburn? Uh, outside of the tight end, uh, Fairweather, like they don't, they don't have enough guys winning one-on-ones on the outside to make plays. they got to find more ways to get that tight end the ball. I think he's a good player for Auburn. And then on the other side of it, looking at Georgia, you know, Georgia's got to start faster. Uh, they got to continue to come together as a team. I think Carson Beck is just fine. I think he's playing well. But they got to do some other things to try and help these guys out. And defensively, at some point, you know, you got to take it upon yourselves like they did. Malachi Starks made that interception at the end of the game to end it. But, you know, Georgia defensively, they got to continue to get grow up a little bit more up front, continue to get more stout. And then they got to – I just think overall you've got to start faster. They cannot continue to dig themselves a hole. And my only mantra I would use for them is you got to stop playing with your food. Don't play with your food, son. Eat your food. I would say this too, Roman. Kentucky jumps all over the Florida Gators and has a really a great head start going into that Georgia game. Is Kentucky one of the surprises so far of the SEC? Because I know in the preseason I didn't have them coming in to week number six with an undefeated record. I don't think I had them at an undefeated record. I, I said they could be a sneaky good team just because they're – I like the addition of Devin Leary. I love. I mean, I should have loved the addition of of Ray Davis because he's been a really big uh, emphasis and a really big key to their success so far. Whether it's running, catching, or blocking, he's shown the ability to be a three-down back, and he's actually made money coming to Kentucky. So a really good job by him. And and I just didn't see. I thought their schedule was easy, and it set up for them to have success because it allowed them two, three, four weeks to kind of build up, figure out who they are, and they took advantage of that. And then Florida's defense, they played the run. They just they just got gassed in the run game all day long, and they didn't adjust. And so without doing that, it's another thing. It's like Kentucky's like, well, we'll just run it this way. Uh, they didn't come into the game using those G schemes, which means they're pulling one, two guards, you know, a guard and a tight end. So they're getting people on the edges. They really hadn't ran like that all year long, but Florida was so susceptible to it. They're like – We'll just, do, we'll just do this all day if they're not going to stop it. And that's what you saw. 
and you saw big play after big play after big play. And uh, before you looked up, they, they get an interception, and the game's over. Um, but I got to give kudos to Kentucky. Man, Lexington was rocking last week. We were there for SEC Nation. It was five, six, seven people deep, uh, right all out there for the show. So anytime we get to go somewhere and the vibes are right, I'm picking that team. I learned my mistake from not picking South Carolina last year versus Tennessee because the vibes are right that morning, too. I should have known it. But I was leaning Florida until I rode around on my scooter. And when I saw the vibes are right, I was like, Kentucky's going to win this game. And I was darn sure right about that one. Hey, Harper, uh, Coach Stoop said, look, there's nothing wrong with the state of Kentucky and our fans pounding beers at 11 a.m. That's when I knew <laughs> that they were going to win that game when he encouraged fans <laughs> to pound those beers at 11 a.m. to get right for SEC Nation and your show that you guys did. And they listened to him. They showed up and showed out for sure. And another great showing was Alabama dominating Mississippi state for the umpteenth time and it's kind of been the 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 mantra there of the dominance the last 16 years over mississippi state they're able to finally get with only a limited amount of passes for Jalen milrow bama established its defensive dominance against the bulldogs yeah you know i i i, I like what alabama's building on i do think you know i just looking back at Mississippi State, all right, check the box. That's fine. Uh, Mississippi State's not playing well enough right now to beat Alabama. I don't care if that game's played in Mississippi State or Alabama or in the parking lot. They're not playing well enough right now. Mississippi State's at this infant stage where um, not even just so much as offensively, but now you have uh, the head coach who's now used to be the former D coordinator, and they're struggling a little bit defensively. I think they're trying to find, figure out that identity and who they're going to be. So I'm not. Uh, I, I give credit when credit's due. Yes, Alabama went out there and won the game and played well defensively. They are getting better. They created turnovers. You give them credit for that. When they create turnovers, they win ball games. They were also but offensively though. Yes. Can you guys hear me? You can yeah. hear me, right? Yeah, you're good. All right, but yeah, but offensively, I, I think you got to cut the rings off. Jalen Milrow, you gotta. This kid is special at times. You gotta let this kid throw the football. I thought Alabama was way too conservative, offensively playing, call, playing, calling the game early. I, I did not like the tempo and like the, just in which they were calling the game. I, I just did, I wasn't understanding it. I thought they had some good quarterback runs, but just don't call quarterback runs. Sometimes he should be encouraged to call a pass and run it on that one because the defense is reacting differently than when you call the run, and so. I think this kid, Jalen Milrow, can be special at times. But, you know, but the mindset is different. When you're calling a game conservatively as a play caller, your team takes on that persona and that perspective as well. And so when you come out and you're aggressive and you call games aggressively, you take your shots, you're going for it, and you're calling plays on third down, knowing that you're going for it on fourth down, the mindset is different. That's the difference. And that's what's going to have to happen if Alabama is going to beat Texas A&M this coming weekend. Because you're not going to just roll into Kyle Field at Texas A&M and think, like, oh, we're just going to survive, and we're just going to show up and beat this Texas A&M team. Ain't happening. you got to come out there thinking you're the underdog. you got to come out there with your hair on fire. You need to start fast. Call this game aggressive. And you know what? You need to say, we need to take the fight to them. And we need to take the same type of attitude we had versus Ole Miss and what Texas had versus Alabama. Come into a game like we got something to play for, a lot to play for. And if you do that, you give yourself a chance. But if you don't do that, you have no chance of winning versus Texas A&M and the way this defense 
and what this D-line has shown at Texas A&M and how they're playing offensively. They're going to present some challenges for Alabama. But if the mind is right and if the mentality is right for Alabama, I still like the talent in which Alabama's playing with. And I also like the quarterback a little bit better. I think Max Johnson's a really good quarterback. But he's limited in areas that Jalen Milrow is not. So, But, you know, it's also, you know, it's going to be a really good game because home field advantage matters so much in the SEC. I agree with you. Anaya Smith, I, I don't know if he's written a check that he can't cash saying, look, this isn't the Alabama that we're used to, one or two in the country. Be careful what you ask for sometimes when you get in front of that podium. And we kind of saw the old Nick Saban. Roman, we saw the Nick Saban that's chewing his coordinators out, is chewing his players out, not patting them on their backside, but ripping them. And to me, that's kind of what you need to see out of Nick Saban to be successful. And that to, that's how he's built his six and seven national championships is holding people to that standard, whether it's on the field or off the field. Oh, there's no doubt. I, I mean, I said it two weeks ago. Like, the way they're playing after the South Florida, I was like, you know, they need to get ripped into a little bit. They need to be yelled at. They got to be held to some kind of standard. What and 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 the the biggest thing that always that I was always taught is you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. Mm. And I, I'm gonna fire you as a player before they fire me as a coach. Believe it. So mm. that's just how you got to approach it. And so I applaud Coach Saban because look, at the end of the day, I've made this whole thing up myself. It's like. And Nick, I trust. Like, how dare I question any decision that he's ever made uh, at the University of Alabama? Because, first of all, the wrong decision has been made by him few and far between as many championships as he's made. He's probably won more championships than he's made bad decisions. So he's going to get it right. He knows the pulse of that team. He knows how to continue to motivate and get guys going. Just the biggest thing right now is it's just so diverse in college sports right now because of the transfer portal, because guys are not staying being third team. They'd rather leave and go be, have a chance to be a starter in somewhere else. And so times are changing. NIL is changing things. But most importantly, the transfer portal has changed it all and really kind of leveled the playing field. So now, yes, the best coaching matters. The way you have to develop players and they actually have to improve throughout a season, like those things matter. And so you can't be the same team in week one as you are in week eight, nine, or ten. Well, Roman, as I was watching SEC Nation this Saturday, when you guys get up to the board, whether it's Jordan Rogers or Tim Tebow or yourself, all three of you guys are very passionate about the X's and O's, and now you have a chance to read and react with Cole Kublick. Talk to us about how much fun it is to sit and watch those guys on Saturday morning break down plays in their own special way, and then from a defensive standpoint, Roman Harper break down things and watch Paul Feinbaum just sit there and nod his head like he knows what you guys are talking about. Well, it's, it's fun, just uh, not so much as uh, – so Saturday is, is unique, but Saturday is so sped up, right? You got to get your points. It's way more talking heads. It's, you know, we, you know, I got to be able to land something in a minute and a half. Versus, like, Monday nights, my read and react show. Um, well, I'll finish that point off is that, you know what, they – the thing, the funny thing is, is that working with all the offensive-minded people is that, like, they think they know. And I think some angles are really, really good when they focus on what they're talking about. But as far as they're like, oh, well, this is what the defense is doing and they're trying to do this. And I'm like, bro, you have no idea. Like, you guys do not speak our language at all. 
Um, <laughs> it's very funny to watch. I don't try and I don't say that on TV because there's no reason for me to make anybody else look small to make myself look bigger. Like I've accomplished enough. I don't need to do all that. So I just stay in my space. But it is very blatant that, you know, even on Mondays working with Cole Kubik, I love working with Cole. But we see offense and we see games completely different. He's an O-lineman. I'm a defensive back. You know, I was talking to him. You know, we talked about it last night. All right, well, we've been – we're a month in. we got two months to go in the season. What's the thing that you are most excited about or that you learned? He was like, that O-line are playing better and talking about O-line. I'm like, hold up, bro. Like, are you serious? This is where you're going? We're going to talk about guys blocking. Like, all the things going on in the SEC right now, and we're going to talk about offensive linemen, which you couldn't even tell me an offensive lineman that's going to be like a first-round pick right now. Right. But this is where you're going. But, hey, whatever. <laughs> I, that's, his, that's how he sees the game. And so, um, for me, it's like, you know, it's that we don't know anything. It's a week-to-week business in the SEC right now, which I love it. Take me back to Sunday. And so, you think you're good until you, you play the next game and you lose. And you think you're bad until you play the next game and win it. So every game counts just a little bit more right now, and anybody can beat anybody. I think this is the most diverse. I said that not knowing it completely, but I had this feeling that this was going to be the most diverse season the SEC's ever had since I've been covering it the last four years, and that anybody's going to be able to beat anybody. And I'm actually proving this, this season the teams are proving me more right than they are wrong right now because the SEC West is still pretty wide open, and the SEC East, it's people nibbling at Georgia. I don't know if anybody's ready to knock them off yet, but people are definitely biting at them. And now, now you got to survive. And nobody thought that the last three undefeated teams in the SEC would be in the East, not the West. I agree with you 100%. Roman Harper joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And Roman Harper, that former strong safety for Alabama, former strong safety and world champion with the Saints, and also played with the Panthers. And I know you had a great sideline view earlier in the year when the Panthers and the Saints played one another. You were able to take your sons there and your family there to enjoy that. But the Saints struggles right now. Scored zero touchdowns versus the Bucks and have scored just four offensive touchdowns so far this season, the lowest since 1975, Harp. I know that has to be a little bit discouraging watching, but encouraging from a defensive standpoint if you're their opponents. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, too bad I'm not usually cheering for their opponents. Um, but, I mean, it's got to be a little sad. they got to figure out a way to get more explosive. I don't know what that is. Um, I, I don't know. Where they're struggling at, I, I talked to my Saints group chat, and they're like, well, maybe they're trying to do too many personnel shiftings. Like Pete's trying to play, you know, make sure he gets this in, make sure he gets this in, instead of just like, you know what, this is working, let's just roll with that. And so um, it's, un- it's crazy, but it's not that crazy. Just because, you know, the way the preseason works now, the first four games I don't put as much salt into just because that's when everybody's still kind of finding their way uh, and learning who they are as a team. Now, the one bad thing I say is that you lost to Tampa. And so that's inside the division. As long as you handle the division, you got a chance. And so you've got to continue. That means you can't drop many more of the divisional games because division games count too. So you, you got to hammer those down and you got to have an opportunity to win those. Because once you win your division, you got a, uh, a playoff game. Not only a playoff game, but a home playoff game. So uh, really trying to hammer those things down is going to be really good. But we'll see. Uh, the biggest thing is you can't be like nobody's ever talked about how great a team was in September. It doesn't matter. It, October, it's going to get a little bit better. 
November, December is where playoff teams are made and usually start to separate themselves. Well, I will tell you this. I look forward to checking you out each and every Saturday on SEC Nation. And then on Mondays, you read and react. And you do such a great job covering college football and being that ambassador, a neutral ambassador as well, which at times is kind of hard for me to do, Roman. But I, I tell you, <laughs> have you already got your swag picked out for Saturday? Because, brother, I love the green suit that you were rocking this past weekend. Every time you're on television, I'm checking to see what Roman's got on next for sure. But how, how deep in the closet did you have to go this for this Saturday's wardrobe? Oh, this one upcoming or last one with the green one? Last one with the green one and this one upcoming. Um, last one, the green one, man, I just saw it. I was like, you know what? I, I guess I'll throw this one on. The coolest <laughs> thing about it was that I found a Breeders' Cup tie uh, uh, in uh, Lexington while I was out there. So I didn't even have that tie. I had a different tie. And then when I get out there, sometimes things just talk to me. So I had been to this shop last year because I was able to get a, um, a horse's, like, a, you know, it's in the Kentucky Derby type pin, a lapel pin that I like to wear each week. And so I found one of those at this uh, men's shop last year. So I went back by the same place, found me a Breeders' Cup tie, and it just popped the whole thing off. So I actually put that on. This week I haven't actually decided. Um, I got to figure it out by tonight, though, because I fly out to New York and I'll be out there all week. So um, I'm going to figure it out. But when I get home, uh, my son and I are heading home now. We just dropped my daughter off at art. So we'll figure it out. I, I think I got think I have a clue, but I'm not like 100 percent all in yet. Well, I tell you this much. Your guy, Stacy Mills, back in Prattville, Alabama. And that's my guy with the AHSAA radio network. He does a phenomenal job with Prattville's running of all of their sports there. He says you're one of the sharpest dressers he's ever met in the life, and you're one of his favorite Prattville lines as well, Roman. Tell him I said thank you, man. I appreciate it. Hopefully I can be number one one day. I got you. Hey, and, 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 not, and not just one of. Understood. I keep working at it. Tell him I, I keep working at it. So I, I sure it's not, will. It's not him. It's not him, it's me. I okay. got you. I got you. Roman Harper, thank you so much, man, for taking time out of your tremendously busy schedule to join us here on the final drive. Can't thank you enough for that. Safe travels, and as always, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. We'll talk later. Roman Harper joining us this afternoon on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Luis Gonzalez, former South Alabama Jaguar and Major League player. You're listening to WNSP Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Nick, earlier this year, you said Deion Sanders should be the most and the highest paid coach in college football. You That's still correct. agree with that? Yeah. Well... Sorry to tell you that he's not. I know, I know. But Nick Saban is. Nick Saban, Forbes magazine says he is the highest paid college coach, $11.4 million per year. Dabo Sweeney comes in at $10.8 million. That's what a couple of national championships will do for you. That will boost that college contract. And you look at Kirby Smart, the third highest right at 10.7 and Ryan Day 
Ohio State at 10-2 and you kind of want to know where our guy Hugh Freeze is and getting the job at Auburn. He comes in number 20th on this Forbes magazine list, $6.5 million is what Hugh Freeze makes. So, no, absolutely not bad at all when you look at what college coaches are being paid. And Nick Saban is worth every penny, dime, nickel. Go ahead and load up. The truck. So who's all in that top five? It goes Saban. Yep. Then Dabo. Dabo then Kirby. Kirby then Day. Jimbo. Jimbo close because he's right at ten. So okay. he, he hasn't made that that top five in that list, but he is getting paid. Riley in there. He close, but okay. no cigar there either. Uh, but when you when you're getting paid, you're getting paid. Nick Saban, without question, should deserve to be paid more who's, so who's than the lowest any. paid. That's probably I'm willing to bet you one of the SWAT coaches. Yeah. If I'd be willing to bet UMass you, coach. He probably makes more money than SWAT coaches do because of the budget, and that budget will change you for sure. The final drive. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Juan Pierre, former South Alabama Jaguar, former MLB player, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins. And if you missed Hugh Freeze in our first segment, We'll replay that interview as Hugh Freeze was in Mobile, Alabama at Moe's last night being interviewed by the media. And we had a chance to, because of the audio quality, we, we did get a chance to ask him multiple questions, probably about 13, 14 minutes worth of time with Hugh Freeze last night that we were able to ask. But this coming Saturday in Mobile, Alabama at Lab People Stadium, the Gulf Coast Challenge. Alabama Power presents it, powered by the Mobile Sports Authority. We'll talk to Tim Hale upcoming here in the next hour, and they'll have a series of free events at Mardi Gras Park. They'll have the R&B group shop performing on Wednesday. On Thursday, you'll have gospel singer Marvin Sapp coming to town. They'll also have the college and career fair, and then you look at there's going to be a second line in HBCU Fest on Friday with Rich Boy and Young Jock. And then Boosie, Lil Boosie, is going to be here on Saturday oh, after man. the game. So, Young Jock, Lil Boosie. Yeah, okay. plenty, plenty of flavor coming to the Gulf Coast this weekend. Free concerts. Make sure that you do purchase your tickets and take part in that Gulf Coast Challenge. You don't want to miss Jackson State and Alabama A&M's bands. They'll put in a, a pregame, what they call a zero-quarter battle of the bands, a fifth-quarter battle of the bands. So that's always historic as well. Looking forward to talking to Tim Hale and all the events that are surrounded this weekend's Gulf Coast challenge as I will be the PA announcer there for that and it's always a great event some great weather as fall's going to be in the air so the rain's staying away so we're definitely going to enjoy that this weekend our number two of the final drive locked on the SEC Chris Gordy joining us next here on the final drive the sound of mobile presents for the win 
the final drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Our number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. And Chris Gordy always locked on the SEC. And all eyes of the nation were locked on the SEC on CBS at 2.30 this past Saturday. And they saw the Auburn Tigers jump on the Georgia Bulldogs 10-0. to and you couldn't have asked for a better and more electric environment in all of college football than what was witnessed with those orange out and pom-poms going and the recruits that were there and the celebrities and the alumnus. Chris Gordy, was it not a shocking first quarter there at Jordan-Hare Stadium? Well, I don't know if the first quarter or really first half was – uh, crazy, out of this world, unexpected. In fact, as the week went along, I, and I don't remember what I talked to you guys about last Tuesday, but as the week went along, I started to feel more and more like Auburn's going to bring it. Like, this is a big game against the number one team in the country. I just kept getting the vibe like Jordan Hare is going to show up and show out. Fans are going to be excited. I mean, there's Cam Newton in the big top hat, getting fans fired up, walking through the student section. I mean, it just felt more and more like, all right, Auburn is fired up, and they're going to they're bring it. And the defense brought it. They played their butts off. Unfortunately, the offense is still limited. And lack of quarterback play is why Auburn couldn't pull off the upset. So, look, it's one of those weird things. You hate to say moral victory, but, but you should really feel proud about the effort that Auburn gave. Because, you know, in, in a real world, like, should, is Auburn even close to Georgia right now? No. But – they were able to keep it close, and look, credit Georgia. They made the plays when they mattered most. Brock Powers is a, is a physical freak and made the big plays down the stretch. But, um, yeah, I, I was just getting that vibe as the week went along. I kept thinking, man, maybe this is close. I thought Georgia would pull away late uh, and cover the 14, but lo and behold, they pull away and just get away with the seven-point win. Yes, I, I do agree. We had this argument on yesterday on this show. To me, Brock Bowers is putting up those type of Heisman type of numbers. Not only the best tight end as evident a year ago in college football, but once again, to me, just the best player in college football this year. And you know where the ball is going. You just can't find a way to stop him. He just continues to make catches. And you're going to take what the defense gives you, but Brock Bowers just does Brock Bowers type things. Yeah, and he was slow out of the gates to get going this year. I, I want to say it was, what, their week two game? He had like one catch for three yards. Uh, against UAB and then against Auburn, he's had back-to-back 100-yard receiving games now. And I've even seen a few people floating out there like, should we entertain the idea of, having him as a Heisman candidate. I yes. mean, obviously his numbers aren't that eye-popping. He is the leading receiving tight end in the country. No no other tight end has more receiving yards than him currently. But, um, yeah, I mean, to me, to win the Heisman, you got to put up stupid numbers. And I just don't think he's going to do that at this point in the season. But what if he goes the rest of the way with a 100-yard game in every game the rest of the year he plays and – finishes with, I don't know, say he gets the 20 touchdowns. Would that be enough? I think that's enough to at least invite him to uh, 
to the Heisman ceremony, but we'll see. Like, if he's putting up good numbers, that means Carson Beck is putting up good numbers. And I thought Beck, you know, took some big strides this week, playing his first road game as a starter, and he looked good, made some big throws. So, you know, if we get to the end of the year, Georgia's still undefeated and Carson Beck's numbers look good, I, I, I would think Carson Beck might be at the Heisman ceremony over uh, Brock Bowers. Let's talk about the Crimson Tide and their big win over Mississippi State, 40-17. to You do so without Deontay Lawson. You do so with Jalen Miro only having to throw a limited amount of passes. And you also do so on the road. Even though it's Mississippi State, you still needed a fired-up Nick Saban to rip into his coordinators, to rip into his players. But that's the Nick Saban that we've seen win seven national championships with that formula. Yeah, the, the good news is the defense is back for, for Bama. They, they are legit. Uh, we're, we're finally starting to see Dallas Turner these last couple weeks do what we expected. He's getting sacked. He's getting pressure. And some other guys are stepping up. I mean, Chris Braswell's really having an impact. He had the pick six, you know, three interceptions of Will Rogers. And uh, they're getting after it. I mean, this is a swarming defense. And, you know, the good news is I still think that the offense is a work in progress. I think Jalen Milrow's coming along. But the good news is the offense didn't even have to do much. I mean, with the, the interceptions and – you know, the constant pressure they kept putting on Mississippi State. I mean, the offense really didn't have to do much. The defense was doing it all. So, um, yeah, I, I still have a little worries about down the road. You know, everybody's talking about LSU, how terrible they were. What nobody's talking about is LSU still is one of the best offenses, not just the SEC, but in the country. And I just wonder down the road, okay, Alabama's defense playing well, but what if they get in a shootout with LSU? Can Alabama's offense match LSU's offense down the road? Again, that's not till November. We won't worry about that until we get there. I just want to see Jalen Milrow continue to take those steps to develop as a quarterback and cut down on the mistakes, limit the turnovers. And, uh, again, Alabama's defense is good enough and strong enough to, to help keep this, uh, keep this team in every game they play. Well, he's definitely going to have to step up to the plate here coming up against Texas A&M. He's going to have to take those vertical shots. He's going to have to complete those intermediate passes as well. So we'll see how much growth he truly will be showing himself and what kind of game plan Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide can come up with. Now, you mentioned the disappointing loss for LSU Brian Kelly. Didn't think that they were going to go undefeated, but losing a shootout to Lane Kiffin, this defense of LSU should be much better than what it has shown here through the first four and a half, five weeks of college football. No doubt. And I know it, the, the invoke thing is to bury them right now and talk about how bad they are. Matt House is a terrible defensive coordinator. But it's so funny. Two weeks ago, they went to Starkville, Mississippi, and state to the point where Mississippi State couldn't convert a, a first down. They had like, I don't know, it was like 13 yards total at halftime. It was something crazy. And we're going, man, LSU's defense is playing lights out. So I. I, I I can't believe that that defense is the same defense we saw against Ole Miss last weekend. What we saw, though, was a defense that was uh, getting out schemed. I mean, Lane Kiffin is is a really good offensive coordinator, and I, or you know, or call player rather, play caller. And we saw him with his back against the wall. They had just got shut down by Alabama. I thought he had a terrible game plan against uh, Bama and Tuscaloosa the week prior, and he had a perfect game plan this week. They exposed LSU in a lot of different places, and. You know, Jackson Dart was not touched. He was he was not sacked. And so, uh, yeah, look, LSU's defense was awful. They lost the game. It was a shootout. 
bad for LSU's offense that scores 49 points and continues to be one of the best offenses in the country. We feel really bad for Jaden Daniels. He's a guy we should be talking about for the Heisman, and here's LSU set with two losses on the season already. Now, it depends how you look at this, because LSU was in the same spot a year ago at this time. They lost the opener to Florida State, and then they got basically abused at home by a Tennessee team uh, in a game that wasn't even close and took their second early season loss. LSU rallied the troops. They ran the table and, uh, you know, ended up losing to Texas A&M in their season finale, but they beat Alabama and won the SEC West and went to Atlanta. This LSU team can still do that. They're talented enough on offense, but they're going to have to make some big improvements on defense. And I think, again, the pedigree is there. you got Makai Wingo, Mason Smith, Harold Perkins Jr. I mean, these are stud defensive players. Anybody in America would love to have on their teams. They just got to be put in better positions, and we got to see better effort. I mean, I saw poor tackling, just everything from LSU on Saturday. But here's the thing we, we can't do, guys, that we always do. We can't assume what we saw from LSU on Saturday that we're going to see that every week the rest of the season. You guys know that's not how it works. Teams will make adjustments. They'll look at film, and they'll, and they'll play you know different guys if that's what it calls for. So I do think LSU can improve, but, man, they got to make some drastic improvements quick because they're put, facing a Mizzou team that – is really good offensively, too. Brady Cook might be one of the unsung storylines of the SEC this year. He's played lights out. Luther Burden is uh, the number one receiver in the SEC right now. The Mizzou running back Cody Schrader is number two in rushing yards. So really, really good offense that LSU is going to face on Saturday morning out in Como. And uh, certainly Mizzou is hoping to go to 6-0 and with a win. So it's going to be a tough test. Well, I know this. If you were to tell me that Missouri would be 5-0 and at this point in the season, I would tell you you're nuts, especially with Missouri having already leapfrogged LSU. I, there's no way that I would have definitely have seen that. That's why it goes back to the enjoyment of the week-to-week -week football that we're being able to enjoy not only in the Southeastern Conference but across the country. And on top of that, sitting right next to Missouri is the Kentucky Wildcats. Coach Stoops getting it done and having a great game against Florida, not giving them any life at all and now having a chance to see a Georgia team that can't get out of the gates fast and I know Kentucky's going on the road but Georgia's schedule was being made fun of at the beginning of the year I don't think it's being made fun of any longer yeah they're they're facing some some tougher tests than they thought they'd be facing I mean South Carolina gave them all they could handle for about two and a half quarters and uh you know, Auburn gave them everything they could handle for about three and a half quarters. So it, it's been a tough go. Um, I think they'll be ready for Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky has played very well. Uh, Ray Davis was a man amongst boys last week. That offensive line, they call it the big blue wall. They, their run blocking was tremendous. And I love how Ray Davis runs. I mean, he, he ran like this at Vandy a year ago where he was the top five rusher in the SEC, but nobody cared or even acknowledged it because it was Vandy. Now he's at Kentucky and he's doing it against some big time opponents. And, I think people are starting to take notes, saying this dude is legit. He's now the SEC leading rusher through the first uh, five weeks of the season, and it's going to be paramount that Georgia slows him down because he's the straw that stirs the drink on their offense. Devin Leary, still really talented quarterback with some big-time weapons like Barry and Brown and Dane Key and Tavian Robinson, but um, this is a dangerous spot for, uh, for Georgia. If they play like they've played the last couple of weeks, they're going to find themselves in a dogfight with Kentucky late, and We'll see if the Wildcats can pull it out. Their defense has been playing really well. J.J. Weaver and company, uh, I like what they do. They're physical. This is a, one of the most physical defensive fronts I've seen Kentucky have in recent years. And 
it was just funny, guys. I love Mondays, uh, Monday press conferences. It's just time for everybody to basically compliment the other team as much as possible. And we saw that yesterday. Mark Stoops is going, oh, my God. I mean, Brock Bowers, this might be the most incredible player I've ever seen. And, and I was at Arizona while I coached Rob Gronkowski. This guy might be even better. And then on the other side is, you know, we, we have Lane up, or uh, Kirby up there saying, oh, my God, this, this, George, this Kentucky team is incredible. And Ray Davis, he reminds me of DeAndre Swift, but, but he's better. I mean, this is crazy. It's just so funny to hear the coaches, like, just gush over how talented the other team is. But this is one where I think it's, I think it's right. I think it's justified, and I can't wait for Saturday. I think, I think two teams absolutely should be on uphill alert, and that is Georgia and, Ar- and Alabama. I think A&M will give Bama everything they can handle, and I think Kentucky will give Georgia everything they can handle. Arkansas, Ole Miss, Sam Pittman taking a lot of heat there in Fayetteville. Two and three now are the Razorbacks. Lane Kiffin, Kenny sustained success. They jump up to 16 in that AP poll. Still four and one with that only loss being to Alabama. But Sam Pittman, you, you look at the way his teams have fought against BYU. You look at the way that they played in spurts against Texas A&M, will Arkansas continue to get roasted? I think they will. I mean, I, I took a chance on this past week against A&M. I just thought the way K.J. Jefferson had played the week prior against LSU and the close loss to BYU, I just thought he was going to bounce back. And A&M shut him down, man. I mean, A&M has got a legit defense. Uh, they got about six dudes named Shamar on defense that are all big and, and tackle well and, and sack the quarterback. So, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I was disappointed, and I thought it was a terrible offensive showing. I thought Dan Enos, the play calling was was god awful. They got Rocket Sanders back. He didn't do anything. He had like 30 yards rushing, and they held KJ Jefferson under 200 yards passing. I just, I, I don't know, man. I think this thing is going sideways, and we may be talking about Sam Pittman not just on the hot seat, but Sam Pittman might be out of a job by the end of the year. And it stinks because he's one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet, but. Nice doesn't win football games. Look, Nick Saban's a jerk to a lot of people, but he wins a lot of football games, so he put up with it. So uh, we might be seeing the unraveling. A third loss for Arkansas in a row coming this weekend, Ole Miss. Yeah, we might be seeing the unraveling of Arkansas. Well, I know that the Gators, they unraveled against the Wildcats, and they just weren't able to have any bite in them. When the Gators run the football well, I think that's when they have their best opportunity to win football games. Now, they're going to be playing against the Vanderbilt Commodores. Billy Napier and his squad shouldn't have a problem with Vandy. Well, it's a must win for Kentucky, for, uh, for Florida, rather, if they want to get to, you know, where they should be this year. And, and keep in mind, this is a revenge game. This is a game Florida lost last year. You know, Vandy beat two teams last year, Kentucky and, uh, and Florida. So, a little bit of a revenge factor. I think you're going to see Florida come on and give their best effort. You know, against Kentucky, you're right. They didn't run the football very well. Uh, it was funny. If you look at the box score last week of the two quarterbacks, Devin Leary didn't do much. He threw for like 100 yards. But Graham Mertz threw for like, what was it, like 230, 250. You know, he, he's flinging the ball all over the place. But they had no run game. And so that's, that's what did them in. And, and it's a shame because they have two of the best running backs in the country and in, in, uh, Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson, they went from ranked fourth in the SEC in rushing to 10th. I mean, that's how quickly they dropped with no run game last week against Kentucky. So uh, they got to do some soul searching. They got to run the football against Vandy, and I think they will. Vandy, A.J. Swan had been banged up. They had to go with the backup Ken Seals, and he just couldn't do enough. 
So, yeah, I think this is a game Florida bounces back. They get their group back on the run game. And, uh, yeah, sorry for Vandy. I just uh, – it felt like Clark Lee was taking those steps forward with the losses towards the end of last year. But they still got a long way to go at Vandy. I agree with you as far as trying to make those steps and still having light years to go in regards to the success of that program. Michigan State come, excuse me, Mississippi State comes in and plays Western Michigan at two and three. This is a perfect game for the Bulldogs and Coach Arnett to bounce back in and find themselves back on the winning ways. Yeah, it's a it's a must win for them. What's it been? Three losses in a row now. Uh, Zach Arnett is going through the growing pains, man. And again, I, I just I, I go back to their off season and, and looking at what their roster construction was. You were an offense set up to run the air raid, and you know, again, rest the soul of Mike Mike Leach. But I, as soon as they decide to keep things the same and just promote Zach Arnett, I think he should have said look, our, our team is set up to run the air raid. Let's bring in somebody to run the air raid. Instead, they go and get uh, Kevin Barbe, and, and they try to run a more pro-style offense, and it just hasn't been working. You know, Jaquavius Marks uh, was running the ball pretty well there for a couple weeks, but even he's been stymied a little bit, and Will Rogers has just not looked like the old Will Rogers that we know. He's just having an awful year. And so it's, um, it's, a, it's a team with an identity crisis, and I think they'll get back on track this week, but – uh, man, Mississippi State at this point, they'll be lucky to get the six wins and get to a bowl game. Well, I know this much, Chris. You're a happy Houston Astros fans as those Strolls were popping corks and they won't get their postseason play started in October until probably next Saturday is when they'll try to find their wild card opponent, whoever wins out there. But I know you're extremely happy with the Rockets getting ready to start basketball there in Houston. The Astros continuing to do well. Texas in Houston is a much better place to be right now than New York. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was I was actually at Rockets, uh, Houston Rockets Media Day yesterday, and they made a bunch of additions like Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, and you know, we started to look around with Ime Adoka as head coach, and we started saying, you know what? Feels like this is a team on the rise. Like I think the Rockets will start to take a step forward now. The Texans are winning now. C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryan's they've been outstanding, and so. We started to look around and go, if the Astros won another World Series, man, Houston sports might be the uh, the pinnacle here. They might start hitting some strides. And, you know, with my Saints uh, playing as poorly as they are, I got to – I got to have a second team to root for, and I guess it's the Texans <laughs> at this point. Nothing wrong with that, Chris. How can people follow your Locked On SEC coverage and check out the podcast and the great guests that you have? Yeah, it's just uh, Locked On SEC, wherever you get your podcast. We'll have our buddy Chris Barler. Uh, on tomorrow, we'll talk all things uh, SEC football with him. We'll make some week six picks, and uh, we'll see if, if A&M can pull off the upset of Bama. That takes Bama out of the playoff picture. And if Kentucky upsets Georgia, man, we're talking about Kentucky or maybe even Mizzou being in the driver's seat in the SEC West. So mayhem could happen this weekend. We'll see. Chris, thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you again next week for sure. All right. Thanks, guys. Chris Gordy locked on SEC, joining us on the final drive. Our next guest, Tim Hale. He is the executive director of the Gulf Coast Challenge. A great game this weekend with some great football weather upcoming with a lot of free events to the public that you want to check out. Tim Hale, executive director of the Gulf Coast Challenge. Alabama A&M and Jackson State coming to town this weekend. 
This is George Parra, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNFT. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Tuesday afternoon and would love to welcome our next guest. He's the executive director of the Alabama Power presenting the Gulf Coast Challenge, and it is presented by the Mobile Sports Authority. You have Jackson State. And T.C. Taylor taking on the Alabama A&M Bulldogs, led by head coach Connell Maynard. And it's a big-time swag matchup. Both teams are 3-2, and two, but it's not just football that we're going to get on Saturday. Tim Hale, there are so many community-based free events that are going on throughout the entire week, starting on tomorrow. Oh, yeah, we start tomorrow, man. Um... We got the kickoff concert uh, with with um, Shy. We're gonna do an R&B concert in Mardi Gras Park tomorrow. We're expecting about three to five thousand people out there, so it's gonna be a great kickoff for the week. Um, everybody's starting to load in. The tents and tailgate stuff is going up right now, so everything looks good, sounds good, and everything's on, man. It's definitely going to be on and popping. And then when you follow it up with the R&B group Shy, you're going to have that gospel explosion, and that's going to be Thursday. Marvin Sapp coming to the Gulf Coast, and Marvin Sapp always gets it done. Those with church roots and non-church roots still love to hear Marvin Sapp sing. Man, when I tell you the response for Marvin Sapp has been bigger and better than any other artist we've ever brought. I'm nervous. I'm trying to figure out how we're going to get all the people out there. I got people t- calling me saying they're going to get there at 3 o'clock with their lawn chairs uh, waiting so they can get a good spot. You guys also, that morning at the Mobile Convention Center, giving back to the College and Career Fair, and that's an awesome opportunity for the high school students to see what it's like to experience and get exposed to college life. Corey, this is my favorite event of the year. Um, you know, as a 21-year as a educator, I, I believe in creating opportunities for kids to be successful. We partner with Saudi C, and so with this college and career fair, we're going to have over 50 vendors in there, and those kids will be offered scholarships, not only scholarships, but job opportunities on the spot. I mean, I'm talking about not just no regular, you can go work at McDonald's, like nothing wrong with working at McDonald's, but we're talking about Fortune 500 companies that's going to be in there offering students jobs on the spot, man. So that is the biggest thing that I think we do, giving back to the community and creating opportunities for kids to be successful. Not only that, now you're looking at what's going to happen on the 6th, which is the Second Line Parades and HBCU Fest, and that's going to be a lot of fun. You'll also have the team luncheon that'll be at the convention center. Oh, yeah, we, we got a full-packed week of events, man. The Second Line is something that, that's unique to Mobile and New Orleans. Uh, it's a Mardi Gras thing. We're a Mardi Gras city. Actually, we're the home of the Mardi Gras. So we got to have that Mardi Gras feel. We're going to second line down down the street to Mardi Gras Park from the Battle House to Mardi Gras Park. And that where, where we're going to have a kickoff. It's going to be more of a pep rally slash concert slash everything you need to get this game kicked off and get ready for the weekend. 
So it's going to be outstanding, man, a lot. Something for the entire family. And now you're looking at Saturday. The culmination, Alabama A&M, Jackson State. There'll be marching bands galore. There'll be fans galore. It's just that swack atmosphere that's going to be happening right there at Lad People's Stadium. And then after the game and the battle of the bands that are going to be going on in the zero-quarter battle and the fifth-quarter battle, you're going to top it off with a post-game concert by Lil Boosie. Man, listen. It's, it's going to be – you got to drink. Start drinking water today. Start drinking water today because I, I talked with Boost and his people. They they ready to come down. He's excited. Now, the two matchups, you got to think, you got two defending SWAC champions. And then was uh, the SWAC championship SWAC champion two years ago before the Dion era and now Jackson State. So, uh, uh, Coach Maynard said he wants his league back. And Coach TC said he ain't getting it from him. So the two the two teams are revved up. Jackson State is coming off a bye week, and them is coming off a big, big, big win against Tuskegee. So both teams are geared up and ready for some football, man. I'm excited. Well, I know that the weather is supposed to be fabulous, and that's something that we don't control. But because of the date, you couldn't ask for better weather for all the events that are supposed to be going on here Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, free concerts for the entire community, an outstanding opportunity to get things started with SWAC football. It's not the first football game, but it's the one that's closest to us because you have Alabama. Alabama State and Grambling coming to town next month also, but you don't want to miss this opportunity here to participate in the Gulf Coast Challenge that's going down this Saturday. Tim, how can people buy tickets, purchase tickets? I know we mentioned all of the free concerts, but we need to have people coming into the stadium and enjoying it, putting butts in the seats without question. Listen, we cannot do this unless we get butts in the seats. So to get a physical ticket, you go to Northside Check Exchange. Northside is local in Mobile, uh, in Tomanville. So you go to Northside Check Exchange, you can get a physical ticket, or you can go to the official website. Now, a lot of people have been Googling and going to places like StubHub and all that kind of stuff. Those tickets are way overpriced. Don't go there. Go to the official website. Go to www.thegulfcoastchallenge.com. Then you can get the regular price tickets. It's not they they selling theirs on those sites, the uh, third party sites for about uh, seventy five, eighty dollars. Tickets are forty five dollars. Gulf Coast Challenge can't beat that. You don't have Tim. to pay those extra. Numbers. Can't beat it. Alabama you can't beat forty five dollars for three concerts, a a a, 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 a parade, and a. a post-game concert and two of the hottest HBCUs in the world for only 45 bucks, man. You can't, you can't beat it. Alabama Power presents the Gulf Coast Challenge, powered by the Mobile Sports Authority. This coming Saturday is the game. Week of events starting tomorrow. Tim Hale, can't thank you enough for all that you do for the entire community, Mobile, man, and surrounding me, areas. Tim Hale joining us this afternoon on the final drive.
team pro football hall of fame you're listening to wnsp welcome back to the final drive last night hugh freeze auburn's head coach was in mobile alabama at Moe's Barbecue, and the media members had a chance to ask him questions about the state of Auburn football. Coach Freeze, you had a big game against Georgia, and your team really competed hard. What's your assessment of your team at this point in the season? Well, uh, I, I was really pleased with the effort that our kids gave and thought we had a solid plan, and I think it's a lot of things that you can build upon when you watch that tape. There's also a lot of things that we can be better at that we've got to improve on and we got to improve on as coaches and as players and so there's a, but there's a lot of good in it and you know it, it, it hurt us to lose and I like to see that you know and uh, it, it bothered me it bothered them and I think that's a good quality but I say all along I, you, you learn more from failure than you do from success truthfully if it's handled the right way, and hopefully this uh, is, is – I wish I was with our team today. I've been on the road recruiting, and, and I probably uh, – I've been sweating a lot because it's very hot outside, and I've been at practices and things. But So I wish I was with my team to, to kind of uh, get a sense of, of how they feel. Um, but I'll see them tomorrow. But I do think that, that we will look at this as, you know, we could have won the football game, and let's take the good and – and let it build confidence for us, and let's take the things we didn't do right that really hurt us and, uh, and go improve on those things headed into uh, LSU. Your off week's coming up. Is there anything you do differently with this being the first year with the program? Yeah, no, I treat off weeks the same. I've done it all the time. Uh, there'll be recruiting, obviously, involved, which I've done today at a lot of schools and, um, and speaking at events like in Birmingham at lunch and tonight in Mobile and... Uh, spending some time with the Auburn people. Then we'll have two really good practices Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday will be a lighter practice and a shell of it, truthfully, because most of the coaches will be on the road recruiting Thursday and Friday. Um, so um, that's, that's how we get some folks healthy, hopefully, also. When talking about scheduling, you said you're upset to see the Georgia rivalry go. Let's let's really clarify that okay. statement. I have no clue what's going on uh, with future schedules. That haven't, hasn't come to the coaches at all. What I totally meant by that was um, there's a lot of great rivalries um, in our conference, and there's new teams coming, and I think it's going to be exciting brand of football for people to see Texas and but should there be years where you're not playing some, that would be, you know, I'm sure disappointing to some people from certain years. But I have no clue what the future scheduling is, nor has it been discussed with us as coaches. Uh, I know what next year's is, and that's, that's as far as I know. So I was using a hypothetical and uh, certainly uh, hope everybody clears that up. Coach, the excitement of the Auburn fan base so far. Talk about the atmosphere they created, not only in this past Saturday's game, but so far since you've been the head coach. That has probably been the, the most, um, I, I don't want to say surprising thing, because, you know, you've heard about the Auburn culture and the Auburn people and the Auburn family. But the way that they have embraced our new staff and our players and my family, and uh, it's just been overwhelming and, and humbling, truthfully, and sold more season tickets than ever before in the history of the program, which is amazing to me. And it just tells me of their passion 
uh, for Auburn football, and um, I, I, I don't, I haven't experienced a. Uh, uh, a greater fan base than what I've experienced here. I think they're just the best, and Jordan Hare is an um, incredible place to to play, and our people are super supportive, and I think it helps in recruiting. We had a great recruiting weekend, even though we lost the game, and a lot of that goes to the the energy that is being felt uh, from our people. Coach, not a lot of people can run the ball on Georgia, and you did that pretty successfully. How gratifying is that, and how were you able to do it? Well, it was a uh, I think I saw a stat where we were the first team to rush for over 200 yards on them in six or seven years. So that's that means we had a good plan and our kids executed it somewhat um, um, in a good way. The, so I think we build upon it. I mean, you rushed against one of the best defenses in the country and you should be able to do that week in, week out. And if we can clean up, you know, the third and threes and fours that really cost us in the fourth quarter, I mean, the those third downs on both sides. I think that was the difference in the game. Our defense couldn't get off the field on third and longs, and we couldn't convert the third and mediums to shorts. And um, and I think that was the difference in the game. But you take, again, the, the fact that we did rush the ball on a good defense, and let's build upon it. Coach Reeves, you've constantly been emphasizing recruiting. There's been talk about the previous group not doing that well. How important has that been, and how important is the Mobile, Baldwin County area to you? Well, I wouldn't be here if, if, if I didn't think it was a priority. I think uh, the whole state of Alabama is one that is a priority for us at Auburn, along with Georgia and Mississippi, and and then we'll spot recruit um, a lot of other places. But um, Alabama's our home state, and there's players in Mobile and uh, all across the state. And I don't think that uh, that any head coach puts more of a premium on recruiting than I do right now. Um, I'm not saying that I'm better or, or, or than others, but I'm saying I just find it hard to believe that there's some that are putting more effort into it. And I think that's what it's going to take to get us back in the game with some of the elite players. And that's why we're at events like this, why I'm at practices today and uh, trying to do that. So it's, uh, it's, it's the lifeblood. Coach, what's been your takeaway on the quarterback play through the first five games? You know, uh, inconsistent. Um, we're still searching a bit. Uh, not not so much in the run game, but in the pass game as to what we really look like and who we're really going to be. And uh, some of that is, as, when I say that, I do not say that that's all on the quarterback. A lot of it is on receiver play, coaches. It's a, it's a combination of protections and the quarterback. I thought Peyton, of his nine incompletions Saturday, I really felt like five of those should have been caught. And, you know, that makes a difference in those games and it makes a difference in how you perceive the play of a quarterback. And, so it's a combination, and we're still searching some. I've been honest about that, and, and we've got to improve. You received a lot of attention for playing Georgia close. Where does that set the program at right now, and where do you want to be moving forward? I, I don't – there's no moral victories in the SEC. I mean, does it mean we're – that we're a little closer to closing the gap? Maybe, but that's one Saturday, and you've got to do it – for a long stretch in this league and we're not very deep and um, I think that showed in the fourth quarter and, and it's concerning when you when you start talking about stacking a whole schedule together in, in the 12 games I look forward to the day where we have a full recruiting class um, it, it just if it's just one to join our team to give us some depth but um, you know we played a very good quality football team really really close and there's a lot of positives you can take from that but 
that one Saturday in and of itself probably doesn't qualify for us to say we've arrived at some benchmark yet. On the play calling on Saturday, how much did you do, and will there be any adjustments in the off week? It's a constant uh, evolving thing, you know. I mean, obviously there's there's strengths to uh, Monty's game of, of play calling, and you know, and I've done it for a long time. So we we collaborate uh, really well together, and you know, we're still kind of searching for, you know, what is the best uh, what's best for our football team to win games and. Uh, this week, I look forward to tomorrow. It's a lot, well, a lot of discussions will take place. But uh, you know, every game plan, I know what's on the call sheet, and and certainly have the freedom to step in and make a call if I want. Um, and so I approve that. And so Monty's made some good calls. We haven't executed a lot of calls that were really good. And then uh, obviously, there's things that I think I know that probably uh, am am better at. Um, you know that because I, I was a high school coach and I, I've had to play with a lot of different quarterbacks and we've done some different things and so and he's so he's awesome to work with and um, you know the I think it'll be a good collaboration moving forward looking ahead to next season and recruiting would you be open to welcoming a lot of transfers or are you more focused on bringing in recruits from the high school level and what's your philosophy on that well I don't know that it matters what my philosophy is anymore. If I had my, my choice, I would like to sign high school kids and develop them, and, and that's how you build a program. But that's, that's the old way of thinking, and I've got to adjust my mindset some now, and I, I don't really know that any coach can answer that question because you don't know how many you're going to lose. <laughs> and, and thus that forces you, if you lose X amount, you've got to go get X amount out of the portal. So I don't know how to answer that question and, and, and not if I, if I told you anything other than I have no clue, <laughs> then I would probably be just uh, making it up. But, you know, my preference would be to develop kids. And, but the process, of, uh, the process of becoming is kind of being lost. You know, it used to be where you develop a kid for two years and, man, his junior year, he's ready to roll. And is that possible? In today's time, with a large percentage of, of kids, I don't know. Um, I think we'll see. This this will be an interesting portal period to to see how it kind of uh, how everybody reacts uh, to it. At some point, it's, you would think it's got to settle back down to to some people saying, speaking some truth into people saying, you know, stick to it, man, stick in it, don't 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 jump ship. Let's uh, let's build something together and. That's what we preach, but I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. What areas are you most concerned about recruiting-wise from a position standpoint? Yes, uh, wide receiver. I mean, you say that O-line, D-line, quarterback, wide receiver, all of them are important, but we, we've, we've got to get some guys in the receiver room, that um, some depth there that, that can separate and win some one-on-ones. Hugh Freeze last night at Moe's Barbecue downtown Mobile on the state of Auburn's program and letting everybody know that Auburn has some growing up to do. Port City is where he wants to find a lot of this talent. And whether that's Mobile, Baldwin County, both this state, he wants to go ahead and build that fence around it. And his recruiting levels have already been spectacular. And you just have to figure it out with what you're dealing with in year number one it is the hand that you were dealt 
and Auburn, if they're able to make a bowl game, that's progress. And that's what you want to see is growth from this Auburn program, especially getting ready for year two. We'll be right back on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. This is Jimmy Ripple from Gator Boys, and you're listening to WNSP on 1055. to the final drive technically the final segment of the final drive because up next it's Chavis Furniture's talking football Scott and Tracy it's been a pretty good show up to this point we heard from Roman Harper heard from Hugh Freeze Chris Gordy is always locked on the SEC talk to him didn't really get too much into the NFL and breaking down that Monday night football game, but I mean, really in summary, it's just the Giants overpaid for Daniel Jones and the Giants aren't good anymore. I saw Colin Coward was saying that uh, Coach Dayball needs to just retire or not retire, resign from that position because they are going nowhere but down out there in New York. And then you talk about the New York Jets with Zach Wilson. Did you see the interviewer that was talking to Chris Jones? I can't think of the name, but he straight up called Zach Wilson garbage. And this is like an NFL reporter. You know, you're supposed to, especially these NFL analysts, you got to be neutral. And he was really trying to bait Chris Jones and saying Zach Wilson's horrible. And he, and he kept egging it on. He was like, nah, come on, be for real. You know he's trash. And Chris Jones was like, nah, look, he's a good player. He had a good game tonight. They just weren't able to pull it out. And he's really come, uh, that uh, that analyst has really come under fire over the past few days because of how he handled that. Now, I don't know if the NFL is going to fire him and kick him off the Sunday night broadcast or not, but that was uh, – Pretty egregious what he did. You'll have to look it up. Maybe I can find the clip and we'll play it for you tomorrow. But Scott and Tracy, here they are. They're in the building. I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to those guys. Get ready for Chavez Furniture's talking football. The final drive is over. That is next. I am out, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner discuss Alabama, Auburn, South Alabama, the SEC, and college football around the country. Brought to you by Bayou Fasteners and Clutch and Powertrain. Call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the Sound of Mobile app. 
Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday here on WNSP 105.5. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner in the building with me here on the premises of 1100 Dolphin Street. And both teams, you know, had big games. Every game is a big game. But in the SEC, like they say, you lose one and you'll see exactly what it means. And we'll start with Tracy. I know when it's 10 to 0, Auburn is leading. Jordan Hare is rocking in orange. You have plenty of alumna. You have plenty of celebrities. You have your 1983. Plenty Plenty of recruits. You couldn't have asked for a better day of college football to start off the first quarter with. And the number one team in the country, Georgia, a little bit slow to get started. 10 to 10 going in at the half, but you still had to like Auburn's chances. The longer you let Auburn stick around, the longer the fans were continuing to wave those pom-poms, the more of a chance I felt Auburn was going to have an opportunity to win that game. Well, actually, you know, it came down to, uh, we were just talking about it before we go in the air. There were like three pass plays that, that would have really given Auburn a great chance to win the game. And, and they didn't make any of the three. And uh, Scott has talked about a lot of times on here that some of the difference between college wide receivers and NFL wide receivers and and how NFL wide receivers don't wait for the ball to come to them when they're catching it. They reach up, and I think his quote is, they snatch it out of the air, okay? When you – that's what you have to do. And and right in front of me over on the visitor's side, the score is 17-10. to Auburn has a chance to go up by 10 again late in the third quarter. They have a play. The guy's wide open. They're going to have first down in the red zone. The ball hits him in the hands, and instead of snatching it and tucking it, he just leaves it hanging there, and the Georgia guy makes a good play and slaps it down. They wind up punting, and Georgia goes 98 yards with two third and long conversions to tie it up. Now, you had a chance to see what I said on yesterday's show is the best college football player in America. And it can be quarterback, non-quarterback. Brock Bowers is that dude. And I think he needs to be in the Heisman Trophy contention. Well, I think there's no question he's in it. The question is, does he at least make the podium? It's going to be consistency, whether he has – 125 yards because he didn't show up until the second half. Auburn did a tremendous job in the first half of making Carson Beck say, is there a Brock Bowers on the field? Now, he made America realize when they saw how close the game was to tune in, oh, I I think that Brock Bowers guy is going to get the football. And everybody was yelling at their televisions. Everybody in the stadium's like, where's Brock Bowers? Where's Brock Bowers? Well, he just went 40 yards for the go-ahead touchdown. And I think that having 160-something yards receiving in the second half alone, that just goes well, I think to he had 147 you. in the second half and 160-something total. Total. Now, yeah, I've looked at the, the Heisman Trophy candidates so far, and I, I see some that play in the – you know, the touch, two-hand touch league out there on the West Coast. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, run up statistics in that touch league out there, whatever that league is, and whatever they play. Uh, but Brock is a football player playing football when it counts. Yeah. And 
I think that's what the Heisman Trophy is given for, is not running up statistics in, in the two-hand touch league, but playing football. Gets it done, Scott, the old-fashioned way. And like we mentioned, Tracy well, off the Let me say, I forgot, I should have said, being the best football, I emphasize it, best football player. Not statistics runner-up or in a, in a two-hand touch league. And I promise you, he, Brock Bowers does it all. He blocks, he catches, he does anything that's needed to help his team win. And Auburn just didn't have that one answer. Now, I know this much. The way Auburn was able to run against a Georgia defense that was giving up less than 80 yards per game. That's the rushing game that Hugh Freeze had talked about being one of the deepest backfields that he's ever seen since he's been coaching. Well, you know, if you run the ball, you can stay in the game. I mean, all right, I'm going to take two minutes real quick. We talk about all the things that you have to do. Football at that level, okay, Georgia has got great athletes all over the field. Football at that level, you can't let down. So Auburn got a, as Hugh Freeze talked about, they got a big turnover in the first half. They got a big turnover in the second half. The turnover on the fourth down, the last play, I mean, you got to throw the ball up if you're getting pressure and just give yourself a chance. So I don't even count. Auburn had one penalty, and in essence, no turnovers. Got to two. Georgia only had four penalties. I, let me – Y'all have heard me talk about if you've listened and if you've been around me at any football games, referees are not my favorite people in the world, and that's an understatement. That was one of the best called football games I have ever seen because they basically swallowed their whistles and said, unless it is just obvious where a guy's <coughs> rushing quarterback and you tackle him from behind or you're in motion or you're offside, we're going to let y'all play football. And it was so much more enjoyable thinking we came to watch Brock Bowers and 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 the the guys in orange and blue play the game and decide the game. We didn't come to see the striped shirts with their flags like, you know, nobody wants to see them. But remember this about Georgia and their quarterback. Ride the horse that brung you. And number 19 brought them. And when it got down to the nitty gritty, they found a way to get him the ball. Now. Was Auburn playing the same coverage? No. Did they bring five and six like they did in the first half? No, because the depth that we talked about was not there. And when number 36 got hurt and had to go out, they started rushing four and playing zone. And then we see what happened. So there's all sorts of things in the game. But the recruits that were there had a great time. They saw where they can make a difference. The ones they saw, especially what Auburn needs is wide receivers. And did we talk about it when I was here two weeks ago? And rush defensive ends. Quarterbacks, wide receivers, and rush defensive ends. That's where the money is. And that's where the games are decided, really, in this modern time. I know we ran the ball, but we didn't get it in the end zone when we needed to because we couldn't make the big plays. Because when the field narrows and it gets down and it's – it's, it's tough to run when Georgia starts bringing seven and eight up in the box. No sacks there for Auburn in the game. And I know we have a caller calling into the Chavis Furniture Talking Football. Caller, good afternoon, and thank you for holding, and welcome. Hey, guys, it's Alabama Nature Boy. I want to go Ooh. on record saying without 
Bowers, Georgia loses that game. I mean, in the fourth quarter, he willed them to win. He kind of put the team on his back to just get the ball somewhere close to me. A couple of one-handed catches. That kid's going to probably be the first draft pick in the NFL draft. He, he reminds me a lot of Rob Gronkowski, maybe even a little bit better. I agree. I think he's more athletic than Gronk was. He's not quite he's as special. big. He's yeah, very, and, very special. And the caller in the Alabama Nature Boy has a has a point there. The, the NFL has kind of refound tight ends. You know, back in my day, I had a great tight end, uh, 6'5", 255, Richmond, George, out of Elon College in North Carolina. But I'd throw him that ball up there 10, 11, 12 feet high. He played center in, a, in high school and college also. <laughs> Man, he'd pull it down between two bare safeties. No problem. So, I think the NFL is getting back uh, and has refound tight ends. And it's a good time for the Georgia tight end uh, to be coming into the draft. Caller, uh, we got you right here on the Chavis Furniture Talking Football Show. It's a Tuesday edition. Welcome. And what's your question this afternoon? Okay, uh, for Scott, uh, listening to the uh, discussion about Auburn's rushing game uh, brings to mind, can you beat Alabama? if you don't have a sophisticated downfield passing game? Well, nobody has in, since Nick's been there. The people have beaten them, the Cam Newtons, the Johnny Manziels, uh, going forward to 2017 when Auburn won in Auburn. I was there. And, and who was the Auburn quarterback that just worked us over on third down? Uh Anyway, you've got to be able to throw the football to beat Nick. You know, going back to Tim Tebow in the early years of Nick when Florida uh, beat Alabama in the SEC championship game, you got to have a, a guy that can can make things happen throwing the football. Uh, so, I mean, that's just – that's the way you beat Nick is that, that style. And this year, Texas quarterback. And the tech go, go come forward to Brock uh, Ewers. Yep. Uh, with the Texas quarterback having a great game against us. So that's the way you beat Nick is with a great quarterback and a great system, and he goes out and executes it. Then go all the way back to Tannehill in like 2010 or 11. Yeah, he, he had a yeah. career day. Yeah. yeah. We never heard from him again, it seems like, but, boy, he turned it on that day. Yeah, next, I just had another observation. Uh, I think all you have to know about how quickly – uh, Melro can accelerate is to watch him on one of those runs around the end. As soon as he turns up, he's going to get yards. He may not make it all away, but he'll get some yards. And also, uh, I watched a part of that game, and I watched a cornerback chase him into the end zone. So uh, he's definitely got the speed and the acceleration. Okay. I agree there. I, without question, Melro can turn it up. And but that was Mississippi State's defense. You want to see him this week have to be able to hit those intermediate to long balls against Texas A&M. Something we've been waiting on. We weren't going to really see it against South Florida because he didn't touch the field. Well, uh, let's let's dial it back and you know no Alabama wide receiver had over one catch Saturday night. Yeah, you know he he's ten of thirteen or twelve of fifteen or something like that. that that's fine, but you know 
that'll work for you when your defense is playing like they were playing Saturday night. You're running the football and you're kicking. I mean, the kicker had a, a punt that literally sailed into the next county, whatever the next county <laughs> from Starkville is, Neshoba or Wanawaki or Mississauki or something like that. They always have the funny names over there. But anyway, uh, when it goes like that, you don't have to really have a great night passing. But comes the day – when you play, say, Tennessee or Texas A&M or LSU, you better go out there and you be able, better be able to hit those receivers and throw for 304 touchdowns and win that thing 45 to 42. You got That day is coming in college football. It's coming this year for Alabama. Yeah, it's coming for Alabama. May come Saturday. May come Saturday. Aren't they in College Station? Yeah, yes, sir. Come, I think they've come back to what's uh, the quarterback that used to play at uh, New John New, Max Johnson uh, at New at New England or at, at, at New Orleans. The Saint quarterback wasn't it? Uh, was it the Brad Johnson? Brad, Brad son. Brad, Brad son. He played with the Vikings and the and the Saints, didn't he? Yeah, Both Brad did. So here's a guy that's capable of having one of those Johnny Manziel, Cam Newton. Uh, Quinn Ewers type nights or days in this case, and you better be able to, you better, you better be able to hit some receivers and score some points. Well, we'll be open for the best. So, anyway, thanks for your time. I'll talk to you guys next week. Absolutely. But to his, you know, to his credit, Tommy, the offensive coordinator, to his credit, he he's dialed things back to what. Um, Milroe can execute, and he did a good job of executing those, and I think that's a good strategy. If you, you're going to go with him, you've got you've to have a plan that he can execute. And play with, to his pockets. And play to him. And as far as I know, somebody was talking about how fast and how strong and all that stuff is, but, you know, a quarterback running out of the backfield is, is great when it happens, but then again, that's not anything you can plan on. That's not part of the game plan. It looks great for the highlights, but the game plan is to sit in there and hit those wide receivers and those tight ends and those backs and hit them on first downs and third and longs and second intermediates and, and get the ball down the field and put points on the board. Well, I tell you, special teams were critical for both teams and continue to be a very positive situation for both of these teams. And when we turn to the other side of this Chavez Furniture Talking Football segment, we'll talk about the special teams because to me, Alabama and Auburn both, when you look at a field goal kicker and a punter, Alabama and Auburn both have two of the best field goal kickers and punters in the entire Southeastern Conference. We'll talk about how you win on special teams on the other side of this break on the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Chavis Furniture, Talking Football Tuesday edition here on WNSP 105.5. You have some some guys who are very passionate about Alabama and Auburn that are in the room with me, and I love hearing their stories of some of their teammates and some of the 
things and the accomplishments that they've seen it in it, whether it's in the NFL or whether it's playing with NFL players and you know guys you guys have always seen special teams make that difference but Auburn Oscar Chapman and Alex McPherson one is a punter one is kicks your field goals and for Alabama Will Reichert and James Burnup these guys are spectacular special teams players that when your offense struggles, they can flip the field for you. I know you win the game scoring six points instead of three, but when you need that three, Will Reichard's accurate, Alex McPherson's accurate. Talk about being able to flip the field or have automatic points on the board when you have special special teams players. I'm almost afraid to talk about Will Rockard. He's so good. He doesn't just hit them through the uprights. He hits it in the middle of the uprights. So I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to talk about him because I don't want to jinx him. Okay. Hey, look, we'll knock on this hard <laughs> I'm wood. just kidding, but uh, I mean... <laughs> I, I, for him to stay around another year, and he had to because he had really no the NFL. There was no spots for him as a place kicker in the draft last year. But I think that this upcoming NFL draft, he'll certainly get some uh, looking uh, look see at him. I was just impressed with Auburn's punting game. Yeah. There at the end of the half, he kicks one seventy-one yards. Um, he downed two more inside the ten. One at the two. One, you know, at like the five and. You know, that's the kind of thing. I know Georgia went 98, and uh, the other drive, I think they had to kick a field goal when they started at the five mm -hmm. that made them uh, um, have, let's see, it was uh, 20. So that when they went from 17 to 20, that was that drive. But, look, most of the time when you make a team start inside their own 10, the percentages say you're going to be able to get them off the field. And, and so, yeah, Chapman had a great day. Auburn's special teams were good. They had uh, really good returns. They fair caught the ball when Georgia finally realized, look, we're not kicking it to that Batay kid over there anymore. Yeah. We're going to kick it over to that big fullback-looking guy and let him call a fair catch and start at the 25. Other than one bad coverage, the Georgia guy had a return out to the 40-something yard line. They really contained – the special teams didn't lose the game. It put Auburn in a chance to win the game. On, And, you know, the other stuff we had talked about earlier, turnovers, turnovers, two games of four. They had that basically cut down, interception, the last play of the, of the game. Penalties, one. I don't know how long it's been since somebody played a game, especially that kind of competitive game against that kind of talent, uh, and only have one. Again, I, I saw some things that could have been called on both teams. But after I realized they wasn't going to call it on either team, I was just me and all those other old has-beens up there that uh, were there on Saturday. So and No, not a lot of has-beens. And I know we have a caller for our Chavez Furniture Talking Football segment here. Caller, welcome to the Tuesday show, Chavez Furniture Talking Football. Welcome. Hey, hey good evening, guys. Um, I just had a question about uh, the status of uh, Jalen Simpson. Take this off Auburn, and and, uh, and also, uh, how do the, the running back rotation will be since Austin is out? Are they planning on burning uh, Jeremiah's cop uh, red shirt, or are they just going to stick with Bati and and uh, Hunter? I was just curious about that. Thanks. Well, that was that was great. You know, they're trying to get into the rotation, and Jeremiah played again Saturday. Uh, he's probably already played in all four. So I suspect that his red shirt is burnt. I, I don't know that for a fact, but I know he played Saturday because Auburn went to two backs 
a good bit in the middle of the second half with he and Bate in the game after they had hit Jar- uh, Jarquez up in there. Jarquez is a is a one cut kind of guy. If you stretch him out, you know, and make him try to do some really wiggles that's not his game his game is to hit it up in there north and south or to put his foot in the ground one time and turn it up he had a good run where he was trying to go wide and they over pursued he put his foot in the ground and went straight ahead but he's not the wiggle guy so I think you saw they missed having Austin in there and so they went to Bate is that how he says it Bate Bate Bate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's two games in a row he's really been the most explosive guy so I think he'll be your second one. And then I know 23 was in the game a lot. So I, I'm i pretty sure already we're at, what, game six? I'm pretty sure his red shirt, because you get four. If it's not burned, it'll be burned soon because they're going to keep playing him. So uh, and then hope, hopefully Damari can get back before the s- season's over, you know, to add back to the depth. But so far, the, the running backs – you know they they look good. They they ran the ball. They didn't put it on the ground. They finished runs. Uh, you know, falling forward gives you that extra half a yard or yard. So, you know, I I was impressed with the rotation. That that helped them in the game. It didn't hurt them. They were also able to turn Georgia over twice, and I think that's huge. That you're when you're able to do something with those turnovers, especially when Georgia that quick sudden change to where you expected to get a little rest or whatever. Now all of a sudden you're yelling for the defense to get out there on the field, and I know you've watched a lot of football, a lot of Auburn football, and you mentioned the officiating. But think about it: when's the last time you've seen Auburn only be penalized? One time for a total of five yards. Think, I mean, we're talking national championship teams, teams that have gone undefeated. When's the last game you've seen Auburn play that clean? Or anybody. It, it, yeah. Doesn't that happen every time Alabama plays at Auburn? <laughs> well, I, I think that would well, be a little debatable. It, it was that sacred <laughs> burial ground under the stadium on Saturday. Uh, but, you know, and they were just close to having two more turnovers. They called them turnovers on the field, but then upon being reviewed, they were not turnovers. You know, it wasn't – they clearly were not fumbles on either one of those. But he asked about Jalen Simpson. He made a great interception in the first half where he goes up and gets the ball – and, you know, they had to determine whether it was joint possession. And uh, and and really, I think that's what sort of turned Brock Bowers loose in the second half. Jalen got hurt. Uh, I, I don't think it's super serious. Auburn has a bye week. You know, so I, I expect he probably will get a lot in the treatment room and they'll try to have him ready to go. I'm thinking it's his shoulder. That's sort of what I thought. I thought it initially was a stinger, and I told my wife I thought it was a stinger, but it may be, you know, some deep bruise, and then the more he just kept hitting it, it got to the point where he couldn't. But I don't think it's a separated shoulder. I don't think it's a collarbone. I haven't heard, or and I read the day before the show to try to follow up. But so I'm going to anticipate that he'll be back and, you know, at least 90 or 95% by the time they go to red stick. When we talked about it last week, um, when Auburn's back is against the wall in a big game, their history, no matter who they're playing, Georgia, Alabama, you name it, they come off the wall and either win the game or, or get close to the winning the game. I've seen them do it too many times mm-hmm. when I've been at Auburn when Alabama was playing them. So they did exactly that. They came so close to winning that game, and if not for that big tight end, 
they likely would have won that game. Well, he did make two great catches, as the caller said previously. One-handed catch one way and one-handed catch the other way. The other part that the caller brought up about Jalen Simpson being hurt is they already had two others. Uh, oh, and I can't remember their names. I'll look them up. But two other of the DBs that were in the normal rotation who were out. So, in essence, when he went out, that's three of your top six or seven. That makes a difference. Now you're playing somebody that didn't get as many reps and, and maybe they didn't pay the kind of attention that they should have and watched enough film and just, you know, a little bit. And don't give Brock Bowers 12 yards to come running at you <laughs> anyway. Well, so. I know Hugh Freeze was able to chime in last night when he visited us here at Moe's Barbecue, and he talked about – the difference at the end of the game from a depth standpoint. He said, look, I, I'm what position do I need? I definitely need wide receivers and I need, you know, some defensive depth. And when you don't have that type of depth, which he wasn't expected to have in year number one, I think that Auburn here in a couple of years is going to be exactly where Hugh Freeze wants them to be. He's going to continue to recruit. He spoke on calling the plays himself. That's something that he likes to do. He, he approves every single call. He knows the entire play sheet backwards and forward, and he gets a feel for the game. And at some point in time, sometimes the head coach, if he is your play caller, he does have to take over and run that offense. Not to step on the offensive coordinator's toes, but you, you see or feel the game a little bit differently. And that's where you saw Nick Saban go irate and bonkers pretty much fussing at Tommy Rees upstairs. Look, I've seen enough to where I know I'm tired of the shotgun. Get under there. Let's run the football. Let's be successful. I have a different game plan, and I like fired up Saban, Scott. <laughs> I like Because that's the type of Nick Saban that we've seen win six national championships and one at LSU to where he's no holds barred. He is – fussing at everybody whether well, it's the water boy the trainer the wide receiver the quarterback doesn't matter well that's what miss terry told him to do go back to being the old nick and he certainly was the personification of that saturday night in starkville it equates in a big time win for the crimson tide and when we come back from this break on the chavis furniture talking football edition on this tuesday we'll talk more about the big-time celebration, we talked about Scott Hunter being honorary captain a couple of weeks ago. Our man Tracy here, he was on the planes and got a chance to be part of that atmosphere, but he also got a chance to see a lot of his former teammates as well. We'll be right back on the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday on WNSP 105.5. My name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to Chavez Furniture's Talkin' Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome back to Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner joining you this evening. And Tracy, I know the final score didn't go the way that you wanted to, but I was watching the game on CBS and I saw where they did show you guys being recognized there in the end zone area. How many of your former 
teammates there from the 1983 team was present? Well, I was glad they let uh, some of the 82 guys come back too just to be with us because they had been so important in laying the foundation. And uh, I was told that between the coaches and all the trainers and the players and everything, it was about 100 guys there. Wow. And we had dinner on Friday night in, in Auburn Arena and then a brunch on Saturday morning and got to visit with everybody. And, you know, it was uh, – the blessing was given – by Coach Hall on Friday night, and everybody was like, "You mean the man that cussed the most on the whole field?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and he and he apologized to the good Lord during the blessing for some of his colorful metaphors. <laughs> you know, uh, so we Wayne, all uh, Wayne Hall could lay it out there, couldn't he? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I just asked his wife, and we were sitting there. He didn't bring that whistle with him, didn't he? Because he'd swing that whistle around like this, and he would hit you on your helmet, and it would sound like the Liberty Bell going off. You know. And uh, Coach Whit was there, and uh, you know, a coach, Coach uh, James Daniels, James Daniel. He told me I talked to him. He coached 17 years with the Steelers, with one NFL team as an assistant, yeah. two Super Bowl wins, yeah. and then coached with Dan Reeves in Atlanta when they went to the Super Bowl, and they didn't win that one, but he coached in three Super Bowls after that. he was at Auburn, and uh, so it was a. Uh, Neil Calloway, another old Alabama player, and then a coach, coach Dye, and then Neil coached. Let's see, he was at Auburn, and then he was at UAB. Yeah, he was at Georgia. Yeah, he was at Southern Cal, and uh, he's retired now and is in Birmingham, uh, Hoover. So we just had a great time visiting and seeing everybody, and we all looked old. <laughs> as, as long as you guys, it's okay to look old because that means you're still living. So, so that part is great, you know. Who are uh, those old guys? <laughs> and and I, I know this. You, you've been around a lot of atmospheres for Auburn football games. And, Scott, it really does, you know, you look ahead and you mentioned last week here on the show, man, when Auburn's back is against the wall, you, you they're not going to fold up and quit. And they're going to give you everything they have. Alabama goes to Jordan-Hare Stadium at the end of the year to where scary things have been known to happen give in me a second, that Iron boy. Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Look, let's get there, though. We all, we got so much football before we get it, here. It, 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 is, it is one of those situations, though, the environment to where people say the Alabama-Auburn game, there's, there's no environment. I, I beg to differ. I think that the type of environment that you witnessed on Saturday with the number one team in the country, with the Deep South's oldest rivalry, that that environment could be better than previous Iron Bowl environments. Well, it might have been some, but I know this year I was already talking to somebody. I understand, you know, assuming both teams, you know, the Auburn doesn't collapse. I, I don't think Alabama's going to collapse, even though I do think they're going to have a couple of tough games, you know, between now and then, you know, LSU's going to be a tough game. A&M's going to be a tough game. Tennessee will be a tough game. But they get to Auburn and the game still has – it'll have meaning. But if it really has some meaning, they were telling me that Auburn-Alabama tickets are already going for north of $1,000 <laughs> for the orange-backed, like, really good seats or something. And that some of the other just, like, you know – 10 to the 20 or seven seven hundred fifty dollars so that tells you the interest that's building for that game so let's all take care of business and get there with alabama maybe 
10 and 1 or so and and Auburn, you know, maybe get there at 7 and 4 or 8 and 3 or something so the game really has a lot of meaning and then we'll talk about that one as we lead up to it. But right wait, now, wait a minute, who are we playing next weekend? Yeah, you're playing A&M and that's right. what I'm saying. So let's we, talk let's, about it. Let's talk about A&M. So <laughs> when you do look at ways Auburn can improve moving forward. 2 out of 12 on third down but you only lose 27 to 20. If I were to sit here and tell you guys yeah. last week, Auburn's going to be two out of 12 on third down conversions. What's the final score going to be? I guarantee you, I know I wouldn't have said it would have been 27 to 20, being two out of 12 on third down conversions with an offense that has already struggled. I would have to say there better be some pick sixes or some scooping scores well, Corey, there. Corey, you, you, you pointed to the if, – if you don't look at anything else in the stat line in that game – Auburn was 2 of 12, Georgia was 8 of 13. That explains the game because a lot of those eight were long yard. Those throws that Scott talks about where he, he stepped in on third and eight, third and nine, third and 12, and, and made the first down. So, you know, Auburn has to have some more big play people show up. And, 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 and that's it. They had chances to have big plays, and they didn't make them. Those chances, when they come about, you got to take advantage of them. So, hey, we are not going to lose this weekend. I love it. You're going to be undefeated this weekend <laughs> without but question. I, you know, I think it's going to be a really close game in College Station. So, we're going to get to talk about that here in a well, minute. That, what's great is, you know, Gene Stallings was on the opening kickoff this morning. And, you know, Give Lee asked Gene him, Yeah. said, who are you going to root for? He said, I'm not. I'm not going to root. He I'm just can't gonna, make that call. I, I, that's that's I, a bad yeah, question, said, terrible question. He said, I'm, I'm not going to root. I'm just going to sit. I'm on the yeah. Board of Regents at A&M. You know, I, I coached and won a national championship at Alabama. Yeah. But he does think that He was Alabama an assistant at Alabama, too, and, and before he came back as a head coach. A lot of roots there for this game. Now, Scott, you know, two years ago, Alabama, Jimbo Fisher, is able to kick that field goal at the end of the game, and yes. so many things yeah. didn't go Alabama's way. Now, that was a later kickoff, and it to me, it's still the environment was electric. It's one of those games where you said the longer A&M hangs around, the more confidence their fans oh, sure. are going to get. Yeah, the, and that's the, the same the thing man Saturday. Yes, thing, uh, the 12th man. Yeah, that's I think you hit a good point there, Corey. You go in there, and you're – you're the favorite. Obviously, Alabama should win the game. They're the better team. But you let Texas A&M hang around and that 12th man and all that core up there get all fired up and get it going and all, and all of a sudden they they get a, a second, third win, and you, you're fighting for your life out there. Well, think about it. They threw it in the end zone to win the game last year on the last play of yes, the game. They, yeah, they were, they were one play from winning last year. I mean, it, it was. I was there. It was close as it could be. So, so when you, you do look at, to me, you're looking at a new quarterback that has seen Alabama before because Max Johnson has transferred from LSU. Yes. And because of that, I think this confidence booster that he had this past week against Arkansas helped him tremendously because he was thrown into the fire against Auburn at home. And I think had that been against Auburn on the road, it would have been a whole different environment. But being at home and having a chance to throw a touchdown pass to your brother who is wide receiver slash tight end for the Aggies, 
there was a lot of confidence that was built not only for him in the Auburn game, but this past week against Arkansas. And that's when it becomes scary, Scott, when you have a quarterback who's been waiting his turn as the backup and felt like well, he was not bad, but is given his chance now. Yeah, let's, what do you do to a quarterback like that that hadn't played a lot Obviously, wasn't the starter starting out the first of the year. The other guy got injured, I believe, didn't he? And yes, so, broke his uh, foot. So, what do you do? Well, obviously, you rush the passer. Uh, make sure you don't give him any extra time back there. Put some pressure on him. See if you can get some bad throws from him. See if you can get a pick or two from him. See if you can uh, pull the confidence rug out from under him. Since he hasn't played a lot, and if Alabama defense is – I know Kevin Steele is thinking the same way. I'm not going to let that guy sit back there uh, like Johnny Manziel a decade or so and just wear us out. So I don't I don't think Kevin's going to give him a lot of time, and we'll see how he handles that. Well, I will say Alabama without Deontay Lawson, Jihad Campbell, we talked about Man. his role. Led the team in tackles. Yeah, what a – 14 what a, tackles, that's the way to step up. Next man a, up. That is – that's what you've got to have when you have a player go down like Deontay and somebody else just steps up and really steps up. And looking at the Ole Miss-LSU game of the night, that seemed to be LSU's problem when it, they had plays that really had somebody had to step up. Everybody had their hands on their hips and it was out of gas. And I don't know what LSU has done with Harold Perkins. I think they've lost him. <laughs> I think he's somewhere down there in a Baton Rouge swamp. And they have they've lost him and can't find him. He, one of the last nations. year against Alabama, I thought there were two guys wearing his number. <laughs> he so is. I don't know awesome. what they're doing down there. It, it, it's it's sad because you mentioned that name, and I guarantee you this: Auburn is going to find out where he is, and they're going to go ahead and locate him first under all protections for whoever is going to be the starting quarterback when they do see LSU. Corey. In a couple of weeks, he's no factor. Yeah, he, he's he, he has I, been he has been a no non-factor this year. I mean, he was a pass. I mean, he's all over the field last year rushing in the Alabama game. He's no factor this year. I don't know what the LSU coaches are thinking. Taking a probably one of the best defensive players in the conference last year as a freshman, and he's a no factor. Yeah, it, it is a different ball game for LSU and the SEC West wide open. The SEC East has three teams that are undefeated. And on the other side of this break, Chavis Furniture talking football Tuesday edition on WNSP 105.5. We'll talk more about Auburn and what they're going to be doing in their bye week as they prepare for LSU here in a couple of weeks in Alabama. We just talked and mentioned the weapons that Texas A&M are going to present against the Crimson Tide. We'll be right back here on the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday on WNSP 105.5. Hi, I'm former Major League Baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it. 